Well, I'd like to say good evening to the Bearcats fans listening out there, but I mean, is it really? I I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, the, NCAA, I, the NCAA tournament though started tonight. Th- that is a valid point. I'll give you that. So I guess in some ways it's not all bad, but no. yeah, anyway. Anyway, I'm Sean McMahon, always joined by Alex Frank. Welcome back to Inside the 275 Loop. Thanks to Ted Newton for bringing us in, as he does every night. So, Alex, the Bearcats season ended. Yeah, it did. Uh, on a absolute, I mean, uh, Houston just crushed us like they like they did early in their season. I mean, the score, like you pointed out, was very very similar to the first game. The first game was a ninety to fifty two win for the Cougars, ranked number six in the country. This time around, they were ranked number seven in the country. And once right. again, they kick some butt, ninety-one to fifty-four, as opposed to the last game, which was ninety to fifty-two. Uh, the numbers, though, are slightly, just slightly different. Uh, the final stats, um, Cincinnati, some, some, some are slightly, some are slightly different. Uh, mm-hmm. The uh, field goal percentage for Cincinnati was down three and a half, uh, down about three and a half percent from thirty percent to twenty-seven point seven. I don't even know where Houston was before. I can't imagine they were too far off from. From this stat, 56.1% shooting for, from field goal range for Houston. Uh, Three-point percentage, 24% for Cincinnati, and 47% from Houston. It's like it they couldn't like miss a, a shot. They couldn't miss a shot. You know it's funny? When Quentin Grimes hit that bank shot. Yeah, that was when he was He was on the, um, the inside the right corner, and he shot it, and I thought it was going to go, I thought it was going to hit off the side of the backboard or like, Enough to the right on the backboard where it was it was gonna miss. Nah, he banked it in. No, he, yeah, yeah. I mean, everything was just falling for Houston. It felt like it was just one of those days. Um, I mean, to say that they got redemption is it's a little bit of an understatement. I the mean, redemption from the previous two times that they played us in the conference title game. Yeah, I mean, and not only that, but the second time we played them, I mean, it was a bit of a a butt kicking that favored us. And this is actually. Uh, the highest score. This is the highest point differential in the American Athletic Conference championship game, now being set to 37. Previously, it was 15. SMU held that dip point differential in favor of them. They lo- they beat the Bearcats in the 2017 championship game. And uh, yeah, it's you know it's kind of sad that we you know we set a new record at least, just not in a good way. Um, but other other stats from the free throw line: the Bearcats shot sixty six percent. Houston shot a whopping eighty five percent. There weren't a um, lot of fouls in this game. No, it really weren't. It was not a lot of free throw shooting. A total, there was only twenty two total free throws, which, in the grand scheme of things, isn't really that much. Uh, rebounding wise, Cincinnati uh, was out rebounded by Houston by six rebounds. However, they did out rebound them on the offensive end of the board, uh, eighteen to eleven, and then. Uh, over on the defensive side of the ball, Houston rebounded 30 times to Cincinnati's 17. Also, Houston had 24 assists to Cincinnati's 11, 8 steals to Cincinnati's 2. Cincinnati had 5 blocks to Houston's 4, and 11 turnovers to Houston's 6. And Cincinnati committed 12 team fouls to Houston's 16 team fouls. And the largest lead for Cincinnati, well, was a big fat goose egg, and obviously the final result was thirty-seven. The largest lead. So for they Houston. never. So they never led. Never led at they any never point. Never led in the game. Never and the, led. And the thing is, like in the first half, there were spurts and there were junctures when you thought, okay, 
you know, we're, we're hanging around. Maybe we have a chance in the second half, but... And they were only down... Well, I say only, but they were down 14. Uh, compared to being down 24 in the previous game against them, I gladly took that halftime uh, yeah, deficit. Yeah, I mean, 41 to 27 didn't look bad. It, it wasn't entirely ugly, but it wasn't entirely pretty either. It wasn't quite as ugly as the Memphis game. It wasn't like the Bearcats didn't compete in this game. What I saw was a team that was trying to... Um, was trying to function like they have you know, the previous three weeks leading into the game. They just could not catch a break. No, I mean, Houston's the top dog of the conference, and there's no doubt I mean, about who, that. Who scored for the Cougars in this game? Uh, we'll take a Bes- look at Besides yeah. Quentin Grimes, who, by the way, is a fantastic player. He was named to the third-team All-America, by the way. Everybody but one of their walk-ons, that's Brudeau. Uh, Brudeau. 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 Yeah, really I can't weird. look at his first name. I don't know why ESPN.com. I don't know why they don't show their first names. That's no, really should. annoying. Uh, Ryan Elvin, though, scored. I mean, he scored three. He made a three. Yeah, he made a three-pointer. Uh, Kieran Powell had six points on three-for-three three shooting. So, everybody on the Cougars... It, it, look, you can say... One of their starters did only have one point, which is interesting. That was... Uh, Chaney. Yeah, Chaney, though, he... He's one of those guys that starts, but, like... I feel like he, he doesn't start into, for scoring purposes. You know, sometimes you sometimes you have a player who starts, but then doesn't that doesn't end up playing a lot of minutes throughout the game. Some sure. teams have that. I mean, you look at though. Um, Quentin Grimes had twenty one. He was eight for twelve from the field, five and nine from three. Second straight game with five threes uh, for Grimes in the tournament. He had five in the semifinals against Memphis. Uh, Giroux only had ten, but he did have seven assists and five rebounds. Uh, Marcus Sasser had sixteen. Justin Gorham with nine. I'm surprised he didn't get as many rebounds as he came in averaging on the season. He came in averaging 9.2. Well, when you play Cincinnati and they are hauling up shots out of desperation, I mean, you're going to get rebounds, especially when this this Cincinnati Bearcats team doesn't really rebound. And we were doing our broadcast with Preston Stober, and it's funny because I, I had said the complete opposite of what he said. I said Cincinnati's not a very good offensive rebounding team. They haven't been all year. And I still think that's true, even though, yes, they did out-rebound Houston 18-11, to but that also means Houston was, to a degree, they were, I mean, not even to a degree, they were knocking down more shots than Cincinnati, so they didn't really have a need to get offensive rebounds when they're making more shots. But then Preston kind of was like, yeah, it's like you said, oh, you know, they're a good rebounding team. Like, that's not what I said, but okay. Uh, But, um, I mean, yeah, Quentin Grimes had one heck of a game with 21 points on the day. I mean, you take it over to to Cincinnati I mean it was uh ugly to say the least I mean the Bearcats leading scorer was Jeremiah Davenport he had 11 and then Mamadou Diara who had a couple of threes in the game actually he didn't miss any who had the most offensive rebounds uh oh goodness let's see offensive rebounds it was Tari Eason with four I should have asked you which one of the former players had uh the most offensive rebounds yeah, we'll get to that in a minute here. Uh, but well, to me, the stark the stark difference in this game, Sean, was Houston. They played like a team that has an identity. They played like a team that has an established culture, and they play to the strength and to how good they feel they can be as a team. This Houston team, I'm telling you right now, they not only can go to the Final Four, they can play for a national championship and they win could. a national championship. They could. I don't see it happening, but it could happen. I, they, they, to me, they have the talent to do so. Like you, I, I noted to you, we were watching the, the Memphis-Houston game on Saturday night, 
in the semifinals. I noted to you that it felt like we were watching a Big 12 game. That's how good Houston is. They get up and down the floor. They knock down shots. They play tough defense. They're physical with you. And they play for, and also it, it doesn't hurt when you have a head coach who has over 660 career wins in his career. Yeah. Here's a guy in Kelvin Sampson who has been to a Final Four in 2002 with Oklahoma. He knows how to win at this level. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And, I mean, it really showed through. Um, obviously, Houston struggling to beat Cincinnati over the last several years. But, um, I mean, as of late, Houston clearly is the best team of the conference. And Cincinnati has a lot of ground to make up if they even want to come close to competing with Houston. Uh, really even let alone Memphis to a degree. Memphis is a solid team. I mean, yeah. Houston and Memphis went back and forth in their two games. And, I mean, they played each other twice in six days. It goes to show that if Memphis is in a Power 5 conference, I think they're an NC- they're totally an NCAA tournament team. And I would argue oh, yeah. they're an NCAA tournament team regardless. But you mentioned, you know, how far the Bearcats are from Houston. And there's this term that's mentioned, you know, from from commentators and analysts on TV. I've mentioned this to you. There, there's this term this time of year called alpha dog. And in years past, when, when we've gone up against Houston, Sean, you've noted this, we've had alpha dogs, Jaron Cumberland, Trice Scott, Gary Clark, Kyle Washington, Jacob Evans. You look at the two times we played Houston in the championship game of the conference tournament, 2018, 2019. 2018, who do we have on that team? The 2018 team? Yeah, I mean, good God, you can name alpha dogs. Left Tane Broom, Justin Jennifer, Jaron Cumberland, Trace Scott. I mean... Gary, you forgot the three most important players. Well, wait a minute. Are you talking about the 2018 team or the 2017 team? 2017-18. Okay. You should have said that because, okay. yeah, yeah. Kyle Washington, yeah. Gary Clark, yeah. and Jacob Evans. Yeah, exactly. And it was Gary Clark, who I don't remember the total stats off the top of my head, but he had 14 points and he had like 14 points and 12 rebounds. That's, that is what you need to, to play with Houston. And at that point in time, Houston was a fringe top 25 team, but you saw an identity starting to be formed within that program. Now, you mentioned we had Kane Broom, Justin Jennifer, and Jaron Cumberland, and Nasir Brooks, and, you know, what was Ilyo it? Seme, don't forget him, too. I forgot about Ilyo Seme, of course, him. And you think about, Sean, going into that year, the, the narrative and the synopsis was that that team was going to be Jaron Cumberland and a bunch of dudes. But it turned out to be... It was Jared Cumberland and a very strong cast of, of, you know, role players. Sure. And Cumberland obviously did the heavy lifting in that title game against the Cougars. He had 33 points. He was an alpha dog. Do you see anybody, I mean, that's kind of a moot point to ask that question now, but prior to the exodus that has been occurring this week, did you, could you, could you point to anybody on the former roster and say, yup, he's an alpha dog. I want him going into battle against that team from the Space City. No, I mean, simply no. You didn't uh, have that wing alpha dog like Jaron Cumberland. You didn't have that enforcer in the interior like Trey Scott. No, you, you really didn't. I mean, you could argue maybe it's part of the young, you know, the youth of the team. You know, maybe they haven't developed into a team where they have an outstanding star. But at the same time, I mean, you even look at Jaron Cumberland. When he came in in 2016, he was a star on that team. I mean, he was among studs, but like... He himself was a star, a rising star for Cincinnati. I mean, he's, he really stood out. I mean, there were several games that you don't win without Jaron Cumberland on the court. Even his freshman year, the Xavier game is, yep. is the probably the, the marquee game, marquee example I can give you off the top of my head that we won that year. That Thanks to Jaron Cumberland's presence, I mean, he knocked down a couple of critical threes, had a couple of critical layups in that game. I mean... 
he contributed hard. I hate to um, bring this up because three years ago today was obviously the Nevada game. Mm-hmm. We all know what happened there. But the point I've made is, I've made for a long time is we don't play Nevada if it's not for Jaron Cumberland scoring 27 points against Georgia State in the first round of the tournament that year. Sure. And to your point, Jaron Cumberland, before he became uh, the team, the best player on the team, one of the best players in the conference, and one of the, I'll say it, best players in the country. I mean, he was an All-American his junior year. And then he gets numerous All-American accolades going into his senior season. Which I don't think I expected to be in a better season for him. I, I kind of anticipated... Because it's hard Excuse to re- it's hard to repeat what you, what he did his junior year, but especially under a new head coach, with with new play with totally new play. Well, and that's the thing, and, and this is kind of a a foreshadowing of what we're going to get to on the show. My thinking was okay, John Brandon's coming in, and he is bringing this up tempo style with him. Oh, okay, Jaron Cumberland. We thought he was special his junior season. Oh, oh he's going to be even better. This season, and there were these outsized expectations, and there were times when Jaron Cumberland, yes, had some really impressive games, but there were also times when he, he, he would just make you wanna. He just struggled. <clears throat> yeah, he struggled, or he, you know, he did something that, or he. The Colgate game. Yeah, he would do something head scratching, uh, not know uh, to get a shot off late against UCF, which that could have been a signature moment for him. That would have been really cool. Really, yeah. really close. Really close. Just barely before we the... said that about the Bearcats program for a long time. Really close, but no cigar. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it, it is a shame, though, because I was thinking today, Jaron Cumberland regressed from his junior season to his senior season. But my thinking was, with a new head coach, that he was going to be better. And maybe, that's, and maybe that's on me for you know putting too much expectation and pressure on Jaron Cumberland. Maybe it was me... You know, overhyping the hire of John Brennan, which maybe a lot of us did because yeah. it was new, it was fresh from what we've been used to seeing for so long here in Cincinnati. Unfortunately, as has been uh, the case this week, we've come uh, a long way since uh, he was John Brennan was hired two years ago, and unfortunately. It's a long way in the wrong direction. Yeah, you know, I mentioned to you before the show that since you mentioned that, you know, today is, is three years to the day that we lost to Nevada. I did go back and watch the footage either last night or two nights ago. Um, don't exactly ask me why. I, I think I just wanted to see. I mean, I kind of knew why we lost that game, but I just wanted to go back and see it for myself. And, I mean, there was a huge, huge scoring uh, scoring drought for the Bearcats in the second half. I mean, it was like from 12 minutes left in the second half to about seven or six minutes left in the second half. There was no bucket scored for Cincinnati. Not even a free throw. I mean, we were stuck at 65 for what felt like an eternity. Yeah, but how many points, though, were we still up by after that stretch? Because it felt like we were still up by uh, 10. It, we, we were still up by a good amount. I think it was actually more than 10. I okay. would have to go back. Let me let me see if I can pull it up here the, on YouTube. The, the, two, the two reasons why we lost that game were Jaron Cumberland fouling out, who was playing a really good game that day, and Nevada somehow got offensive rebounds and they started to knock down threes. 
You're, you're, you're really going to pull this up. I am, because I want to. I do want to see. It wasn't until we reached 65. So there's 61. There's 63. So 65.43. You're feeling 65, really good at this point, right? Yeah, was it 65.43? Yeah, yeah. yeah 10.51 left to go. And Nevada hadn't made a shot in, in four minutes at that point. Sure. So then from 10.50 to... There's still 65, 67. Okay. So from well, about 10.50 to about 6... To about, hang on here. It's funny how you point this out to me now. So 10.50 to 7.17, three minutes without a single basket, not even a free throw. And, and in that 16. time, Nevada scored a lot of points. But anyway, the point that I bring this up, um, you know, you you say, you say this a lot. Our program really hasn't been the same since that game. It has not been the same since. And, and I keep thinking, what if, what if the Bearcats had won that game Against Nevada, Sweet Sixteen berth. I mean, you would have played Loyola. Yeah, I personally, I think you and I both agree that we probably would not have won that game. That was just Loyola's year. They didn't win the national championship. Loyola was a team in destiny. Yeah, they were. They were some. They were a force that we couldn't. Well, I don't know. It'd be. It would be. Would have been a really good and interesting game. But I do agree that I think Loyola just that was that was their year to make a final four. It was a good matchup. Because Loyola plays a very similar defense to the Bearcats, what they played at the time. And don't forget, too, Sean, they had some shooters on that team. Yeah, they did. So, and the Bearcats' Achilles heel defensively, it, towards the back end of the mid-Cronin era especially, was if you faced a team that could knock down threes, you were in trouble. Sure. And Loyola was that team. I think That's would, be, well because Mick Cronin's defense was so was so strict. I say hate to interrupt you. Was so strict about shutting down the paint that the three point line was just always open. Yeah. That's that was. that was Mick Cronin's defense. I mean, now three point shooting. I think there is a little bit of luck involved. Some days teams can be really on. Some days oh, they can sure, not. Sure. And I, I I think it's a basically what it is is a pick your poison. Right. And they said okay we're gonna leave, we're gonna leave the three point line open because that's a lower percentage shot. Sometimes, sometimes you're just out of luck. But in this modern day of basketball, you cannot do that, especially when you face teams like, you know, Houston and and uh, I mean, I'm, I'm talking back to when Mick Cronin was the head coach. You know, Houston, even Memphis to a degree, just really any teams. Like I do get that it's a low percentage shot, but you can't not contest it either. You have to contest that shot and make it as hard for your opponent as you possibly can. But you think about because if they start knocking them down, you are. I'm not sure if we would have lost in the Sweet 16 to Loyola. It would have been disappointing because that team, that Bearcats team, really could have gone to the Elite Eight, maybe the Final Four. But it wouldn't have been as disappointing because Loyola, as, as we said, was a team at Destiny. They had some aura about them with Sister Jean and the fact that they were in the NCAA tournament for the first time since 1985. But it would have been so much better than losing in the second round. Sure. Yeah, a second round exit with that team. Come on. As had been the case in 2017, 15, uh, 2011, and uh, yeah. All of Kenyon Martin's years. Exactly. Yeah. Every single one of Kenyon Martin's years, the Bearcats lost in the second round. You got to wonder how that happened. I, yeah, I, it's really, really disappointing. Um, I mean, at least, you know, another thing that you could say, and I, I hate to harp on Xavier fans, I really don't, but um, we would have at least made it to the Sweet 16 and, the, and then to watch, like imagine we maintain that lead over over Nevada. A double-digit a double win, I don't care if it's by 22 or 10, whatever. 
And then, you know, the game after that was uh, Xavier and Florida State. Then you see your main rival lose in the tournament. And, I mean, wow, Cincinnati fans would have had one heck of a night. Um, yeah, they really would have. And, and, you know, I don't think Xavier's been the same since their loss in that tournament game. They have game. not. So it's, it's funny how both of those nights co- coincide for Xavier and Cincinnati. I mean, it was downhill from there. It was a bad um, night for for both basketball teams in the same city. And you know what else is similar, Sean? Xavier has had a coaching change since then, too. Travis Steele was hired by Xavier in, the, in 2018. That was Chris Mack's last game as head coach at Xavier was the Florida State game in the tournament. Yeah, then he moved on to Louisville, and then Travis Steele was hired. He's not the long-term answer at Xavier, personally. I, I hate to see Xavier doing so bad. I know that sounds controversial for me to say, but... Let's be honest here, people. We want to play good Xavier teams. Why would you want a rivalry where we're winning every year, where they're winning every year? No one wants that. Even Xavier fans are feeling bad for us right now. They might be talking a little bit of smack, but I was with a kid uh, working with him yet just yesterday. He was telling me how you know, he's a Xavier fan, and he's like, man, I don't know what's going on with your guys' program, but this really stinks for the rivalry. And I'm it like, really does. It re- and that's that's the thing. is like The thing about rivalries is that you know you have respect for each other. You kind of hate each other. But at the end of the day, it's it's a it's a game, and you know, for Xavier fans and even Cincinnati fans to look at each other and go, "Your guy's not the guy," you know, we know. But uh, we'll so we'll go ahead and move into you know. Can, how, I, just, can I just bring up this one more point you, you made? Yeah, sure. You go ahead. You mentioned you know you feel bad to see Xavier's program not doing well. I will I will bring up to you this. Remember that year, the 2017-18 season when both Cincinnati and Xavier both lose in the second round of the tournament. In that year, both teams at one point during the season were both in the top five. Yep. Isn't that crazy? Think about how that wasn't that long ago. Can you imagine if that was a top five matchup in the Crosstown shootout that year? In that year, the Crosstown shootout, we were 11th, they were 21st. Yep. And, and we got we got absolutely whooped. Think about the players, though, that played in that game. Gary Clark, Kyle Washington, Jacob Evans, Trayvon Blewett, J.P. McCura, Sean O'Mara. Oof. You think, I know you don't like them, but I'm... No, I, J.P. J.P. McCura in particular. Uh, Quentin, uh, what's his name? Tyree Jones played in that game. The yeah. talent that was on display in that game alone was unbelievably impressive. And yeah. you think about Chris... Xavier just had the home field advantage. Exactly. Chris Mack, see ya. Mick Cronin, eventually next year. Let me ask you this. If the Bearcats go farther in the tournament in 2018, does Mick Cronin still have a job here? You know, not, I, not well, that he was fired. Is he still coaching here? Oh, a thousand percent. I think if he makes at least, I think Cincinnati fans' expectations, and rightfully so, were really, really high. I mean, in the tournament, we were looking for at least, at the very least, we just wanted a sweet 16. At the very least, if we could just not lose in the second round, we could say, yeah, we went to the sweet 16 or maybe even the Elite Eight. I don't know that we would have made the Final Four. It was It's possible, but... Remember, Virginia, though, was in a region that year, and they, of course, got upset, so it was a wide-open region, and if you say, well, you could have run into Kentucky, they were not that good that year. No, they really weren't, but Kentucky's going to come ready to play every time. I mean, they, yeah, they, know, they know us, and we know them, and, and any time Cincinnati-Kentucky do battle, it's... Oh, man. It's like a civil war between Ohio and Kentucky, or I should say the state of Cincinnati, as Luke Fickle would say. Either way... Um, it would have been interesting, but really Cincinnati fans just wanted the Sweet 16, and obviously we didn't get that. And so not only has the program gone downhill since then, but Alex, as of Tuesday night, boy, it went off of a cliff. I mean, it really did. It, 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 it's like it, they fell off of a mountain into the Grand Canyon a mile down into the Colorado River. Wow. It was a huge, huge, I mean, six guys, Alex, six guys in a matter of two days 
have transferred out of this program. We can't even not field the walk-ons either. Not yeah. We can't even field a five-man team with scholarship players. We have David DeJulius, Jeremiah Davenport, Micah Adams Woods, and uh, who am I blanking on here? DeJulius, Adams Woods, Davenport. Um, I'm forgetting. Uh, Victor Locken. Okay, but not really. And him. Rob Banks. Yeah, okay, so we really only have three. That's guys. your team right now. That's your team. That's your team. And potentially, I'm sorry, Chris Vogt, but I'm not sorry. Potentially Chris Vogt. If he decides to use that extra year of eligibility for Please, whatever Lord, no. whatever reason, we are begging him not to come back. Um, but, I mean, it went off a cliff. I mean, Tari Eason, four-star recruit out of Seattle, gone. Madsen twins. First, it started off with Gabe Madsen. See ya. And what's funny is that Mason Madsen, even when that happened, you know, put out a tweet that was like, it sounded like he was staying. It sounded like he was staying. No, no, he left too. He packed up his bags. I don't bags. remember. What, what did that tweet say? Uh, something about buckets. Uh, it was a retweet of Gabe Madsen transferring, and, and, and Mason Madsen said something about getting buckets or something like that. I don't know. It sounded like he was still staying, um, but we probably, I probably shouldn't have been shocked that I, that I was shocked that Gabe Madsen left, and I was sort of shocked that Mason Madsen left, but I shouldn't have been because they're twins. And Gabe Madsen was recruited. Well, I should say Mason Madsen was recruited because Gabe Madsen was as well. Gabe said, I'm not coming here without my brother. John Brandon said, fine. And, you know, guess who ended up being the more valuable player there? Um, even though we never got a chance to see Gabe Madsen really play for the Bearcats, which was disappointing. But nonetheless, I mean, six guys, Tari Eason's out, Madsen twins gone. It all started with Gabe Madsen. And then the very next morning, it was Mike Saunders. You You woke up, you came down to me, I was eating breakfast. You said, what is going on? I'm like, you talking about Mike Saunders? Oh, yeah. Mike Saunders had left. Um, who else has left? I mean, uh, I'm, I'm only at four right now. Tari Eason under the portal. I got. I already said him. Eason, Madsons. Harvey. Har- Zach Harvey. Yeah, he's, well, he didn't leave in those two days, but he was he was gone. Diara. Diara gone, too. Yeah, a, a, a longtime veteran of this program. I mean, he's a redshirt junior. You know, when Mamadou Diara leaves... That's kind of a slap in the face a little bit. A guy who's been here for so long said, see you later. Uh, yeah. But when, you're, when your entire freshman class packs up their bags and leaves in the span of two, three days, whatever it was, that is a really bad sign for the future. And, and the stuff that's starting to surface about what's been happening, it's all pointing towards the same underlying factor, and that's John Brandon himself. Uh, I mean, we have screenshots of someone, I don't know who it was, but they were DMing Mike Saunders and said, you know, oh, what, what, why, sad to see you go, man, like it stinks. And Mike Saunders said, it's not Cincinnati, it's not any of that, it's just this one thing. And the guy responded with, well, what changed? Is it, is it John Brandon? And Mike Saunders replies with one word, bingo. So that was sign number one. Now, in retrospect, we go back and look at the footage that you sent me a video of, and it was John Brandon walking off the court after the loss to Houston. Players are on the bench. Their hands are over their heads. They got towels over their face. They're disappointed. They're angry. They're sad because they just got their butts kicked in the championship game that they had worked super hard to get to after starting 3-7 and on the year, going to a 25-day hiatus, and then responding by going 10-4, and including the American Conference uh, tournament, which included two wins, one at first against SMU, second against Wichita State, the number one seed in the tournament, and then a loss to 
who I would argue is still the best team in the conference despite not being the number one seed. I don't think the you can Houston even argue Cougars. that. I think they, I think they are undoubtedly the best. They just happen to have a bad night against Wichita State. But and don't get me wrong, Wichita State's still a very good team. Um, but you go back to the pictures that that surfaced after the Wichita State game, and, and you know the players are celebrating. They're going crazy. Well, we just made the conference championship game. Oh boy! Uh, wow, what a one eighty. I was out to dinner with my cousin on Tuesday night from 6 to 8. And in the meantime, I was not on my phone that whole time, but in the meantime, I didn't realize it. Our program was burning to the ground. I mean, this isn't even a dumpster fire. That would be a compliment compared to what we have now. This is an entire runky, <laughs> this, this is an entire runky landfill that's on fire. And this is a bad sign for the future of the program. Yeah. I mean, if it really is John Brandon... Holy cow! I don't know what he has to work on. I, I don't know if it's if it's his attitude, if it's what it is, but it's not. He, there there was an article that came out. I'll let you go ahead and say what you say, but I'll, I'll let you pull that up as well. I took um, some notes from this article. There was, was an article from the Athletic that came well, you, out today. So well, you just kind of explained everything that that, it, that had been happening this week. But there's a few things in there it's that we didn't dumb, know. It's not a dumpster fire. I mean, this program is in the incinerator right now. Well, uh, that's why they're in. A, well, that's why I said a rocky landfill was Smol- on fire. Sm- smoldering ruins is what this program is right now, and, it, and it's so sad to see. It's because a shell. I'm going back. I, I went back last night and read some articles two years ago from Justin Williams and Mo Egger in the Athletic, and I'm just reading all the comments and you know how positive the the hiring of John Brandon was. And I admit I was a little skeptical at first because let's be honest, you come from NKU. Which he had some, he had a lot of success there. He won two conference tournament championships. He took a program when he got there that I believe was uh, that had just entered Division One. Yeah, and not and, only that, but he was a local guy. And his second year, yes, in his second year, excuse me. Well, so too is McCrone was a local guy too. You he was that. too, but we you, like you got like to remember that. See, everybody says it was a fresh start. Mm, was it? I mean, it kind of was. It was, a big, totally. it was a big reset button. To a degree. Yes. I mean, it was a total change of to pace. To a degree, not totally. It's a total okay. change of pace. But I'm just reading, like, you know, can John Brandon, you know, take a, a good product and make it better? You know, can he... Because one point that Mo Egger brought up, and I and I had forgotten about this, was the divisiveness that was the Bob Huggins era and the Mick Cronin era. Sure. And despite all the success that Mick Cronin had, it was never what Bob Huggins did, and the program was not what it was when Bob Huggins was here. But then John Brandon comes in... And, you know, John Brennan says something at his introductory press conference. He said, he said to the former players, this is your program. You're welcome back here anytime. So at that point, it was like, okay, you know, we're not playing past and present here. Kenya Martin, if, you, if he wants to come back, he's more than welcome. If um, you know, any other great player from the Bob Huggins era before McCormick, Danny Van Fortson. Axel. Van Exel, Danny Fortson. Um, who just who just graduated? Uh, Steve Logan. Steve. Steve. Thank you, Steve Logan. Kenny Satterfield. Yeah, exactly. I Kenny have Satterfield. His yeah. The, uh, there was another player from that team. I played alongside Kenny. I'm trying to remember who that was. I don't know that team super well. Uh, there was some other player. Uh, I probably should. Any. Yeah. Um. I'll think about it. Uh, I mean, Terry's a former player. He played yeah, under Terry. Bob. Yeah, he played under Terry. Bob Huggins. Terry Nelson, by the way. What a guy. Yeah, Terry. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, John Brennan was like, okay. You know, here's a guy who understood the history of the program. Here's a guy who it was said, it was written that he won the press conference. He stole the show. He had people excited and ready to run through a brick wall. This was going to be the new era of Cincinnati basketball. And maybe his first season was a little bit of a rough go. Transfers, new roster, new system. 
adversity, but they still won a conference championship. They got 20 wins, and uh, you know they won a regular season title, yes. a share of one, a share which of one. Which is significant. Which and is in a first. We talked about this last week. It's significant in our conference. And well, not only in our conference, but as a, in a year where you're transitioning from Mick Cronin to a totally new face. Yeah. New recruits. No, I mean, everything's new. It helped to have two players who were all conference first team. It did, yeah. Now, you, we talk about what if the Bearcats had, had not lost to Nevada, if McCronin would still be here, you know, he would have been... I don't Would he have been given a bonus? I don't think he would have been given a bonus in his contract if he had made the Sweet 16. But still... Uh, by now, at this point in his career, if he was still here, he probably would. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, he would have gotten that team to at least the Sweet 16, which is where they should have been. But, okay, what if the tournament's not canceled last year? What if John Brennan has had a normal head coaching experience here at Cincinnati? Yeah. What if the Bearcats make the tournament last year? And let's say despite losing in the first round, which was likely because they would have drawn a higher-seeded team, what if they would have lost, what, what if they had gotten to the tournament? Then recruits can be sold on that. Sure. Well, but we got a good recruiting class anyway. Exactly. See, John Brandon is... This has been written, too. He works so relentlessly. But he's also a little rigid. Because he hasn't offered any scholarships yet. Because he doesn't want to do it without the benefit of an in-person workout or evaluation period. But you have to adapt in that situation. You can't, you know, just because you can't do it your way doesn't mean you can't do it at all. Right. I mean, look at other second-year head coaches around the country, Sean, that have had success this year. Um, Jawan Howard. Hmm. Michigan's the number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Nate Oates. He has Alabama as a number two seed in the NCAA tournament. This is not football, by the way. Uh, another second-year head coach. Oh, Mick Cronin in the NCAA tournament. Who else is going to the? Who else has had success in his second year? Well, I would. This isn't his second year, but your guy Rick Pitino over at Iona in his first year. And 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 just gonna throw this out there: they finished ninth in their conference. Yep, but first in the tournament. So guess what? Exactly. Automatic bid. Funny how I, funny how I was someone who wanted Rick Pitino to be our next head coach. Rick yep. Pitino, the guy who looks like a vampire. Yes, but he's been to seven Final Fours, which is true. You can't deny that. No, you can't. That is Rick true. Rick Pitino is Mick Cronin just on, on steroids. A, eh, tier above, I would say. Mick Cronin did it's have some. Mick, Mick Cronin did beat him once. That's true. That I remember, at least. Yeah. Was that that was the game at Louisville, wasn't it? Or was yes, that? Yes. SK okay. had 28 points that game. Yeah, that was a good game. He was lighting up the three-point line from what I remember. Or maybe that was the... I'm, I'm sorry. I might be thinking of the Big East tournament game. Against, that would have been, uh, been Syracuse. Syracuse, yeah, the Syracuse game. That's what I'm thinking of. Well, he left the three-point line a lot throughout his career. And I'm just saying, Sean, like, you know, there were so much... There, there were these outsized expectations for John Brandon. And yet, now, where the program is, we don't even know who's going to be on the team next year. No. I mean, there could be a guy from Iceland. I'm not trying to be a racist here or anything, because God forbid in this society, if I say, if I say that, people are going to... Whatever, I mean, we could have a we could have a player from Iceland. We could have a player from, I don't know, uh, Finland, Chile, Chile. I mean, 
I mean, who, where, where's our team coming from next year? I don't know. I, I really don't. I mean, the transfer portal, whatever that gives us, it's gonna. It's, I mean, that's where it's gonna I, have I to be. I think you'll. Dude, you, there's there's no there's no but, recruits. But what do you have to sell? Nothing. Really nothing. I mean, sure, hey, you, look, six of my guys left. You're gonna get oh. playing time. Okay, but see, we're now looking at one side of the story. The other side of the story is. Wichita State went through this exact same situation last year. And theirs was worse because there actually was physical abuse coming from their head coach. That's true. And Terry Nelson made a really good point of that in an interview on Channel 9 earlier. And I really didn't even think, excuse me, didn't even really think about that. Um, that was that was interesting. An interesting point from, from him. Uh, he also said that if the transfer portal was a thing when he was there, he would have left in two weeks. But him and Huggins worked something out. Um, but either way, it's, it, is a, it is a good point brought up by Terry Nelson, but it's not a good sign because here's the thing about Wichita State. They got rid of that coach. They got rid of that coach. But that's because there was physical abuse. Sure, that's true. Anytime but, there's that, your, your, your coach is gone. Sorry. Sure, but let's, let's, let's hear some of the things that you, you, written down, you wrote okay. down some notes from the So athletics. there was a bombshell of an article that came out about four hours ago from our good friend Justin Williams at The Athletic who, whenever there's a situation like this, you can always trust that man to report the facts. And he's going to use him with his well, uh, well-rounded well arsenal of sources that, that are at his disposal. So there are a lot of points I took from this article, but most, notable, most notably, there was this paragraph here that was written, and it said the following. Sources described an untenable environment that stemmed from Brandon's approach and relationship with players on and off the court. Problems were largely attributed not to Brennan's style of play or the philosophies he espoused in recruiting, but rather his interactions with and disposition toward players once they were part of the program. Those sources characterized manipulation and exclusion and, and players feeling lied to or misled about playing time and their role on the team. Perhaps most significant were claims of repeated instances of Brennan disparaging players behind their backs to other teammates at times doubting whether certain players had the necessary ability or makeup to survive in the program. He was interpreted as pitting players against each other by multiple accounts. Sources have said it continued even after transfer decisions were announced. And quote, I had a disconnect with, with the head coach, end quote, one player said. And quote, I just felt like I couldn't trust him, end quote. You gotta wonder who these players talk first of all who they were, and second of all who they talked to and where these quotes came from. It's all anonymous, which I understand that, that is that is common journalism practice, but at the same time I do wish we could know who those players were. Oh, I'd be I would die to know who they were, but Exactly. And But you know, they're they're anon they're anonymous ugh, I can't I can never say that word. Their ability to stay anonymous is important. It really is in this situation. But, but it's, just, it's just so interesting to me because, you know, this program, and I said it all throughout the season, there was no identity to it. Mm -mm. And what was their identity last year? Jaron Cumberland and if, Trey Scott, basically. If, you can't, if, if you're naming players as your identity, I'm sorry, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Like, It wasn't toughness. It wasn't... Exactly. Offense. It wasn't defense. It was like you can look at Houston and say, "What's their identity?" Straight up, rebounding, toughness, offense. I mean, a number of things. Yeah, they tire you out. I mean, they're persistent. Okay. There's you look whole... at um, look at Gonzaga. Now, obviously, Mark Few's been there since 1990, whatever. 
they've had an identity for years. And a culture for that. But matter. think about Michigan. What do they have? They have they, they they play a fun, entertaining brand of basketball. They do. And you're seeing they're well coached. They play for each other. They play for their head coach. I mean, if I'm a Michigan fan right now, I can't wait to get back in the Chrysler Center next year to yeah. watch them play. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, I would love to go see Michigan play. I'm not yeah. going to lie. I think they're a great team. Uh, they are, however, my weakest number one seed in the tournament. I agree with you, just because they their best player is injured, Isaiah Livers. Yep. Um, okay, look at Ohio Look at Ohio State. I know you don't like him, but I'm telling you right now, Chris Holdman comes in there. He's, he's four years in. That team is... Uberly well coached. They're very good. They're very, very good. Very good. They don't turn the ball over. They make shots. They're tough. Exactly. They're Look here. The, I, I had a conversation with um, somebody recently, and I said, Ohio State can go to the Final Four because what they showed me in the Big Ten tournament was something that makes me think that. And the person I was having the conversation with said, well, you know, they kind of fell, fell off at the end of the season. That was the regular season. Yes, they won four straight. They lost four straight games to end the regular season. But who did they play? I mean... That, and that is one thing. And the ability to bounce back and win three games in the conference tournament, two of which came against seeds that were higher than Ohio State, and they were down 17 to Illinois. They could have just thrown in the towel. They knew they were going to the tournament. They, they took it to overtime. They had gone that far. Exactly. They, they took them to overtime. Yep. I, I, Illinois did end up winning that game, but... Yeah. Nonetheless, I mean, you got to wonder though. Wouldn't Ohio State steal a one seed from Illinois had Illinois lost that game? Uh, it's an interesting hypothesis to think about. It is interesting to think about because Ohio State would have been two and one against them. Yeah, yeah, that is weird to think about. But instead, they're one and two. So Illinois, frankly, to me, I mean, Gonzaga is a really good team. Don't get me wrong. And we'll get to the brackets here in a bit, but um, but just more on John Brandon. I yeah. just feel like you know, there's no identity, and there was no identity last year. And there was no identity the year before. You know, normally, like Mick Cronin, by the end of his second year, despite the success not coming until his fifth year, you knew there was an identity. Sure. Yeah, I mean, Mick Cronin made it very clear from pretty much the beginning what, what you know, Cincinnati fans could really expect. Now, it took him a while to get things going. Uh but this isn't like the same John Brandon situation. Yeah, sure, it took Mick, it took Mick Cronin five seasons to get to the tournament, but... He also didn't have mass transfers and, and all these weird things that are now surfacing. That just didn't happen with Mick Cronin. John Brandon came in here with a good product, and he made it worse. He did. Like, I look at Michelle Clark Hurd on the women's... Excuse me. Uh, on the women's basketball those, side. fireworks. I, I truly don't... I'm sorry. I, I truly don't understand why people fire off fireworks in the middle of a, a densely populated area. Yeah, I mean, and it's a rainy it's, night. It's not even a good night to shoot them off. And and it's I I didn't see them, so I don't know. It sounded it sounded like fireworks to me. Anyway, um, well, I wish there were fireworks right now within this program, but instead there's only fireworks in the rift between John Brandon and the and the players, More which like, was the headline of this article. Yeah, and sources said that it had been brewing all season, which makes sense. It does. It, it does make sense. And you just think about, you know. The signs were there. We just didn't really see Michelle them. Clark Hurd comes in. Do you know how many players transferred from the program in the offseason leading up to her first season as head coach? One. No. Zero. Zero players. Sorry. Only one transferred in season. In season. Okay, in that's season. what I was thinking of. She made Amari Thomas better. She made her an All-American. She made Sam Rogers an elite. She made Sam Rogers a very good basketball player. Yeah. She made... Angel Riser, a force in the interior to compliment Amari Thomas. 
She made Florence Sifa a strong weapon off the bench and eventually a starter. She made um who else? I, I'm, don't I, look at me. I don't. I don't. I don't know any of their names. I'm trying to think of who the Except seniors for Amar, were. Amar Thomas. She I mean, she's she is one of two Bearcats in history in bear, in basketball history in this program to shoot. I think it was 50 points yeah. or more in one game. But what the other being the all-time Bearcat great Oscar Robertson. What I'm saying is, she came in the team before her, coached by Jamel Elliott. I'm not trying to dismiss the job she did. I thought it was. A, I thought she did a pretty nice job here. So the Bearcats made the NIT. The women's NIT and lost in the first round the year before Michelle Clark Hurd comes in. Michelle Clark Hurd comes in, and the Bearcats women's basketball program gets to the Elite Eight of the NIT. Wins three games in the women's NIT in her first season. Yeah. And her second season, they're in the conference tournament championship game. And you might say, oh, well, the Elite Eight of the, and, you know, the NIT. But, I mean, you know, it might be the NIT, sure, but at the same time, you're at least showing some promise. Postseason promise. Yeah. You know? Okay, so my question is, my final question to you is, where do we go from here? I think we know we're, we're going to have to go to the transfer portal because there's no recruits coming in. Yeah, I mean, I think all of us are in agreement that we want Brandon gone. I think we do. Uh, well, but Terry Nelson did, again, defend him pretty well. So I don't know. But the reports that are coming out, I don't like it. I really, really do not like it. I don't like, like it either. It. And the point I made to you is if you fire him now, it it may not get worse. Because what confidence do you have right now that's going to get better? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, don't, I really don't know. And I, the, the, the narrative has always been you can't fire a head coach after two years. Um, I'm sorry. But when something like this happens. There are expectations here within this program. Look at Indiana. They fired Archie Miller. Now he had been there for four years. He was the only, he's the only head coach in Indiana history to coach four years and not make a single NCAA tournament. Now, if there was a tournament last year, Indiana was projected to be an eleven seed. But even that for Indiana basketball, they haven't been the same really for a lot of years. They have not been. Lance McAllister thinks they haven't been the same since Bob Knight left. I think that's true. I, I to a degree believe that. I think that's true. I had a family friend of mine who went to Indiana, went Bobby Knight, was there, texted me that same thing last week. Yeah. Or, I'm sorry, earlier this week when when news went down that he was, when Archie Miller was let go or fired. Because Indiana has five national championships. There are, there are expectations within that program. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's, it's a hard, because John Brandon's buyout, this is another thing. It's $4 million. This university doesn't necessarily have $4 million lying right Now, maybe if a booster comes in and goes, get him out of here, then maybe. But It wouldn't shock me if someone came, because look, this is a passionate fan base. And you is. can say, oh, it's not, well, it's not the same as it was in the Bob Huggins era. Whatever. Do you see an arena pack with 12,000 fans in a normal year? Because I sure as hell do. Yeah, just about every... I mean, not just about I every. remember there were 75... There had to be 7,500 Bearcats fans in Bridgestone Arena when we lost in Nevada. Yeah. Let me let that be an indication as to how passionate this fan base is about Bearcats basketball. Sure. It's ridiculous. The, I mean, Matt Norlander of CBS Sports ranks us in the top 10 all-time programs coming into the season. And we put up this kind of performance... And you could say, yeah, it was a, it was a you know a COVID year, sure, and there was a twenty five day hiatus and whatever, but 
And the fact yeah. that no one, and the fact that no one in in a high position of power, Brandon Cunningham, an assistant coach, a spokesperson, no one is coming out and saying and addressing the media, which in turn addresses us as fans, although we technically cover the team, and saying this is what's going on, this is how we're going to fix it. And that's concerning. It's very concerning to me. I mean, seriously, here here's the. I mean, do you trust John Cunningham? Not if, anymore. If, if Brandon is let go, do you trust him to get the next head coach right? I don't know that I do. What I, is did, I did like John Cunningham when he first got here. But what has he done? Besides getting Luke Fickle's contract extension done, which two things. One, it happened way later than it should have. And two, that money was all privately funded. Yeah. Oh, well, thank God, though. I mean... And what's the other notable... Um, what else has been noteworthy under his... Uh, Rain as athletic director. The uh, fact that a program has been cut, which yeah. is not a result of him. But it all starts at the top. You're going to go back to that, aren't you? Yes, because it does. Well, it, okay. Not that one man can, can dictate it. What's his identity? Time. Seriously. I don't know. I, he, I, I don't even know. Has he, he hasn't come out and said anything, has he? I kind of want to go through Twitter and, and, and like Here's and the thing. Twitter. Here's the thing. Mike Bone, he had an identity. That man was aggressive in hiring. I mean, he he wanted to win, and he wanted this program. He really wanted the. the he wanted this program future. in a Power Five conference. Yeah, John Cunningham hasn't put out a tweet since March the fourteenth, um, which was the day that we played. Or no, I'm sorry. That was this the, was the day before we played Houston. No, that would have been the day of. Or was it the day of? It was the day of. Okay, it's funny because he worded it weird. Uh, so it was the day of. Oh, he can't even word a tweet right. Yeah, apparently. So I I don't know. Uh, he's only got 2,800 I mean, followers. The thing, I mean, the thing, the other side of the story is this. Brandon has, you know, had an abnormal coaching experience, as has every coach, though. You can play both sides. You can play both sides. You can... Use COVID as sort of an excuse, or you can say, no excuse, look at other second-year head coaches around the country and the success that their teams have had this year. Sure. Like, look at um, uh, Eric Musselman, another second-year head coach at Arkansas. Look at where they're at. He has that program as a three-seed in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Uh, Another second-year head coach. That's a basketball arena I do want to go to is Arkansas. What's that called? I have no idea what it's called, but it, it, to me, it reminds me of Fifth Third Arena. I don't know. Interesting. They're a passionate basketball fan base. I, th- I feel like they always have been. I could be wrong, but... They have a national championship. They do have a came national in, title. Came in 94. Kind of weird um, to think about. So, I mean, I do want John Brand to succeed. Because he, he seems like a great guy. Oh, well, you want... I mean, you want success for the program, too. You know, you never want to root against your own coach. But hey, yeah, when these kinds of things happen, it's it's like, man, how can I really get behind this guy? So it's, it's a real head shaker. But who's who's next in line? Mick Cronin is not coming back here. Rick Pitino's not coming here. No, I mean, I, to me, it's it's finding an, it's an, it's finding an assistant at a at a, a either a really good team right now or, or a blue blood team like someone under Shashevsky, Roy Williams, Bill Self. Yeah, um, plucking someone from NKU. I I'm sorry, no. That's yeah. two steps below us. And this is and this is something I pointed out that Mick Cronin did come from Murray State, but as Alex pointed out to me, he was an assistant here before that under 
uh, Huggins. So and he was an assistant at Louisville under Patino. Yeah, and there you go. So, so he he worked under great head coaches. This is not. I mean, this is not a step up from NKU. This is two steps up. This is a destination program. I feel like. Who would not want to coach at Cincinnati? At Cincinnati. Um. I mean, real. I'm. I, I think given really the opportunity. I'm thinking really, really top tier coaches, like tier one level coaches. Okay, so that's what Coach K, Roy Williams, Bayheim, Bayheim, Jim Calhoun. Well, he's retired. But Calipari, same thing. Coach Cal, Bill Self. I would argue yeah. maybe Baylor's head coach. Eh. Maybe. What about um? Well, okay, not all time, but what about um? Uh, what's his name? Jay Wright of Villanova. Sure. What about Tom Izzo? Tom Izzo, even I maybe I don't think any of them would want to come here. Not them, but you could you could find someone really good because I I do agree this is a destination. It's a sec in my opinion, and this is obviously biased. It's a second tier blue blood school. You know what the sad part is. You listen to what Mike Bone said at his press at, at Brandon's press conference when he was introduced, and he said that the athletic program had athletic program had tremendous momentum, and it did at that time. It did. I mean, look at who he hired: Luke the Fickle, baseball, Scott Guggins. Baseball team goes to the NCAA tournament a week a month after Brandon's hired. Yeah, um, that was a great, great, great time for. UC baseball. I mean, the I mean, the basketball program, which has been, which has been this university's signature sport. Yeah, for years. Exactly. We may Decades. be a, we may be a football school now, but traditionally, the signature program of this university has been its men's basketball program. There's no identity right now, and it is in smoldering ruins. So too potentially is the athletic department. And according to the article that came out from Justin Williams today, sources also said. That players went to John Cunningham expressing their concerns. And what was done with that? We don't know, but the belief is nothing. Well, time will do its thing. So what the athletic program now has, the athletic department now has no identity. Yeah. Yeah, it's really strange. Mike Bone was he was unbelievable. He was. He was. Brandon he was a great guy. Sosna was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. They're now at USC. They play in the NCAA tournament uh, Saturday. As a six seed. Correct. Potential first round upset. Against the winner of Drake and Wichita State? Yeah, I think I give me Wichita State in that game. Do you see the score of the Drake-Wichita State game right now? I don't. I actually don't. Let me pull that up uh, It's 46-45 Drake with 332 to go in the second half. Oh. No, no, none of those teams, neither of those teams are being USC, sorry. What? It's March. Uh, USC's going to the Sweet 16. It's March. Mm-hmm. It's March. Okay. Iona beat Alabama then. Okay. Maybe they will. UNBC right. beat Virginia. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, we got about five minutes left. We'll cover baseball a little bit. Uh, they do take on Xavier at home tomorrow. This is weird. They so, have some momentum right now. It's a four-game. They, they do. They they move, improved a lot. They're now six and seven. They're almost five hundred. Three-game winning streak. They're undefeated at home, and they're three and seven away. So that came after uh, three straight wins against Western Michigan. So previously they were three and seven. Yeah. And then they won three straight games at home. Now tomorrow they take on Xavier. That is at Bearcats. 
stadium, whatever. At the baseball stadium here At on the campus. baseball stadium here on campus. Uh, but it's really funny because then they traveled to Xavier for two straight games and then back here to take on Xavier again. Well, I think they made a good decision because the report was they moved today's game to Monday due to incoming inclement weather. And, well, look what it's doing outside uh, right yeah, now. Yeah, right now it's it's Thursday, March 18th, and it, it's been... Yeah, it's been nasty. It's been in and off raining pretty kind of all day. It's all right, so, so weird. But. So, we've, so we've covered that. The Reds, um, they're still out in Arizona for spring training. Haven't won much out there. TJ Anton's throwing the ball well. I haven't really looked at any stats recently. Cause it's been March Madness, mm-hmm. so which we're we're, gonna, we're probably going to go downstairs and watch those uh, first four games. Well, I, I mean, you got Texas Southern won earlier tonight over Mount St. Mary. They would have been my pick no, if, they the, were if not we mine. if we were allowed to pick them, which we should be. Uh, tonight you got App State and Norfolk State. I think I pick. I went with Norfolk State. I can't remember who I initially picked. App State's in the uh, tournament, by the way, for the first time since 2000. Norfolk State only in it for the second time in school history. But the last time they were in the tournament was in 2012, and they pulled off an upset against Missouri. Yeah. What a game Which that shattered was. my bracket. That was a great game. Bye, George. That, was, no, that wasn't... No, that, that, that was George Mason. I'm sorry. Yeah. I always get those Similar colors, though, and they're from the that's, same... That's why I get it mixed They're up. also from the same state. Yeah. Um, and then tonight, the signature game, 957, the signature game of the first four. 957... On TBS, UCLA and Michigan State. It'll be a Tom Izzo versus Mick Cronin head-to-head matchup. I mean, UCLA, I mean, two blue blood schools of college basketball taking on each other in the first four. And two teams who Can you imagine if that game was at Dayton? I might be there. I would probably go to... I would want to go to that game as well. That'd be fun. I mean, welcome back to Mick Cronin into Ohio. That'd be weird. But, um... Yeah. Yeah, UD Arena. I mean, that's newly renovated, and from Beautiful. what I've heard, it's gorgeous. You need to go to a game there. It's I do. Really, really I nice. do. I haven't been there since we played Springfield. Uh, since Elder played Springfield, and I think it was a regional game. Um, it's been a minute since I've been to UD Arena, and I've heard it's it's so much better than what it was before. Not yeah, that it was bad before, but it really is. I've just heard it's it's luxury luxurious compared to what it, it used is. To so. Um. So, by the time we reconvene here next week, about 75% of the uh, NCAA tournament field will be dispersed, mm-hmm. gone. Yep. We have games tonight, tomorrow, Saturday. First round tomorrow and Saturday, second round Sunday and Monday. Um, also, two weeks from today, Sean, is a very special day here in the Queen City. It is opening day in two weeks, and uh, it's a holiday. I don't think the Reds are going to be very good this year. I hate to say it, but mm. it's opening day. Opening day is opening day. I don't care how bad the Reds are. It's a holiday. It's it's a good feel in the air. It's always exciting. I was going to skip class last year until I couldn't. Uh, oh, I, I, I did uh, two years ago. Well, because I was actually sick on opening day. Yeah, and uh, it's a holiday for sure in Cincinnati, and it's it's always a good time. It's, it's a good sign that spring is... I mean, it's here, but, you know, things are starting to grow back and the Queen City's starting to come alive, so. Hopefully the Bengals' free agency signings will come yep. alive in areas that they need to. They have re- they, they've signed several defensive players, uh, Trey Hendrickson and Larry Ogunjobi on the defensive line, and Mike Hilton and Shadobi Awuzie. They haven't done anything to help out in Joe the secondary. Burrow, well, exactly. And, and that's that, the scary that, part. That's the problem. And if they, don't, and if they somehow don't draft Panay Sewell, and they don't get an offensive lineman in free agency. I'll, I'll put it to you this way. If Michael Jordan starts at left guard week one, I will not be happy at all. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's not a good setup what we have, what the Bengals no, have right now. If Joe Burrow gets hurt again, I mean, ooh, Bengals are in for, for some hurting. 
But uh, that's really all the time we have for tonight, everybody. Um, we'll see you next week, and uh, we'll see where the program's at. In the meantime, enjoy March Madness. It's for the first time in two years after a one-year hiatus with coronavirus. Have a good weekend, everybody, and go Bearcats.